Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. JJ Cooper here, another Tech and Baseball podcast. This one's melding of worlds. This is a Tech and Baseball podcast, as we like to do here at Baseball America. But it's also a Baseball America draft podcast as well, because we're getting ready for the July draft. We're getting ready for the draft that July 11th, 12th, 13th, the latest draft we've ever had. But it now at this point seems like it's going to be here sooner than ever. Check out at BaseballAmerica.com. You have the updated draft 500 rankings. You have scouting reports. You have a whole lot of stuff to get you ready for the 2021 draft, which is a fascinating draft. It's always, the draft's always fascinating, but this year is especially fascinating because we're getting back to normal. After last year, we had the abbreviated five round draft. We didn't have a completion of a high school season or a college season. We're at least having, you know, it's, it's still a 20 round draft, but we're having Omaha. We're having high school seasons have wrapped up. It's much more back to normal. But today we are here to talk about uh, rap Soto, rap scores, and really, I would say, overarching, even bigger picture, analytics in baseball evaluation and how technology can aid and plays a significant part in evaluation of amateur players and especially amateur players in the draft, because that's what we're talking about here today. So I'm very happy to be joined by Nicholas Rossini. He's the analytics manager for Rap Soto, and we are going to dive in deep here but we're going to start by waiting in at, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to ease it in here because I know that there are people listening to this who have been using Rapsodos, have been using, you know, tracking devices for years, but there's other people who I know are hearing the word Rapsodo and saying, what is it? And so I will ask you to, I will start Nicholas by asking the very simple question, which is what is a Rapsodo? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks JJ. I'm super excited to be on and, you know, they're ready to get into this. So, yeah, so Rapsodo, um, we are a company that provides sports analytics for both baseball and golf. Um, we create you know, hardware and software solutions for players and coaches to you know, advance their game and create meaningful improvements. Um, so really what that means is you know, in, the, in the baseball sphere and softball sphere, uh, we, we provide a hardware solution in the form of our hitting 2.0 and pitching 2.0 um, systems. So those are actual systems that sit um, in bullpens, can be on the field in games, things like that, to be able to actually measure you know, the spin of the pitch, the velocity of the pitch, how hard you hit the ball, really all that data that's now becoming at the, for, you know, becoming the forefront of the, of the game. Um, and, and, you know, trying to gather meaningful insights and, and you know, ways that uh, players and coaches together can, you know, create a better player, essentially. Um, just, just kind of overarching, you know, data analytics, as well as, um, you know, not, not only hardware solution, but we are moving into the kind of uh, player development and evaluation sphere. So the ability to provide players with, you know, players and coaches with meaningful ways to actually improve, not just, hey, here's your data, but here's your data and here's what to do with it. Here's how you can go, you know, go from a, you know, a, you know, a non-prospect to a prospect. Here's how to, you know, really get people's attention and get drafted, things like that. Just from, you know, every level of player, um, player development, all the way down from the youth level to all the way, all the way through the, uh, the major leagues. 
And to give an example of that. So let's say you have a pitcher, you know, and how can, let's just say, you know, you're a high school pitcher and let's say that, okay, you know, because first thing that we always think of going back for decades has been, okay, so how hard do you throw? Because if you throw 78, uh, I'm really sorry, but, but division one schools probably aren't going to be calling, but let's say you have a pitcher He's in the low 90s, which is a very, a very typical velocity. You know, there are guys in the high 80s who sign also, but low 90s. Okay, that's something that's been true for, for years. There's been radar gun readings and all. We can say, okay, you throw this. You can see that you spin a breaking ball. Okay, that's, that's kind of step one. But what? give me just an example of what, you know, you can do now that you have, you know, Rhapsody, you have these devices that will allow you to kind of go deeper into the analysis of, of what a pitcher is doing. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Honestly, thinking about that, there's so many different ways I can go with this answer. So even going just off of that 90, low 90s fastball, right? Even just starting with that and without even talking about secondary pitches, you know, there, there's metrics that we give um, on top of just the velocity, like spin rate, spin direction, spin efficiency, um, the actual horizontal and vertical break of the pitch, as well as things like, um, release uh release height and release side so actually how how are you releasing the ball is it you know from a high slot low slot are a lot of your pitches tunneling together correctly as well as the you know release angles so guys that create you know uh funky angles for for hitters to hit so i'll just go go into like you know maybe even one of those metrics is you know say the uh spin direction of the pitch so maybe the guy's throwing it at in the low 90s and maybe that lends itself to be more of a sinker baller type you know maybe you're not going to be be pitching up in the zone as much as a low 90s fastball so maybe you're trying to move your spin direction from, um, you know, say a one o'clock pitch, which is kind of the middle zone, a very average spin direction that a lot of hitters will see. Maybe you're just trying to move it to one one thirty. Maybe you're just trying to move it to two o'clock. Get more, maybe not a sidearm approach, but just create um, more difficult and more unlikely um, spin directions for for hitter for hitters to see. So maybe it's just making a simple grip change to be able to change your spin direction and actually create a more unique pitch. Or maybe it's going the other way. Maybe you're a, you're a guy that um, that has, you know, that's at one o'clock. Maybe you want to be at more of a, a ride pitcher. Maybe you're, you're trying to throw it at more 1230, 12 o'clock to be able to pitch up in the zone um, and try to get, you know, over the top of bats, things like that, like a Walker Bueller or a Garrett Cole, uh, throwing that kind of pure ride fastball that just, you know, uh, misses bats up above it. Um, and then even going into kind of secondary pitches, right? You said, you know, maybe your curveball has movement, but you really don't know what that movement is, right? So there's um, spin, spin efficiency is another metric that we give which is essentially measuring how much of the spin on the pitch is active, is actually making the ball move one direction or the other. So we like to say that high spin efficiency pitches are the, are the pitches that move the most, um, or at least are aided by the spin on the pitch. So maybe the players that the player has, a, they're calling what they're calling a curveball, but it's only 30% spin efficient. Um, but, you know, increasing that spin efficiency to maybe a 60, 70, 80% is going to be a pitch that bites a lot more. It's going to have that sharper downward break, be it a slider or a, or a, or a curveball to be able to actually, you know, make that pitch dive underneath bats, you know, get people to roll over, things like that, pitch, pitch down in the zone. Um, but beforehand, you didn't know if that, that was active spin, was it the ball just falling? You know, you could only see how far they're, or how hard they're hitting the, or sorry, how fast they're pitching, but you don't really know what the actual, you know, constitution of that break is. You know, is it just gravity that the ball is falling down? Are they actually aiding that um, in terms of high spin rate or um, efficient spin direction, things like that? Um, so there's so many different ways we can go. Um, and actually adding context to the things we've had for you know maybe 20, 30 years. And, and one of the things I think that's key that you just touched on right there is, is the key thing with all of this is what you, what you want to most not be as a pitcher 
is you don't want to be average. Absolutely. You know, you if you are throwing a pitch, which is exactly at the way that hitters expect to see that pitch, even if it has solid velocity, that's going to be easier for them than if you do something that is very unique. I, the way that visual processing works, as I understand it, you know, I've tried to study this somewhat. It's the brain is kind of extrapolating where it expects that pitch to be because no one, no hitter can actually has the ability to, to wait until the pitch literally crosses the plate to make decisions. And so if you can basically mess with the, the hitters processing and especially that pitch is there, I expect it to end up here. If you talk about it, if you can change your spin angle to something that's kind of unique, that something's unusual where they think it's going to end up here, but it actually ends up there. That's kind of a key part of this, isn't it? Absolutely. 100%. And that's, that's really what it is. I mean, so many, so many different players um, have kind of taken advantage of this. So say, take a, um, like a Devin Williams in the majors right now. He's a guy that throws a, a nearly three o'clock changeup, like that changeup, you know, you've seen the, the fishing ninja, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the air, you know, the airbender pitch and whatnot. I'm sure most, a lot of viewers on here have, have maybe heard of this pitch and he's throwing from a, maybe three quarters slot, right? He's not a sidearm guy. He's, but he's not, he's not an over the top guy either, but he's throwing a pitch at nearly three o'clock spin direction, which means the ball is literally moving sideways more or less. Um, and out of that high slot, use uh, most, most hitters are expecting to see a change up or maybe a fastball out of maybe the, you know, one, one o'clock slot, which is, is normal, is, 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 is normal. Uh, and, you know, they, they process it as such. But, they, but the, the pitch that ends up coming to them is actually at three o'clock. That's moving with pure side spin. That's, I mean, um, I mean, just, you know, great pitch with, with, with good spin profile and things like that. It's a pitch that's way out of the norm because people that release at that slot don't release it that way very often. Right. Really, so he's really, really manipulating and really messing with the way hitters can see that um, and the way the ball is going to break off of that spin direction, right? With a three o'clock spin direction, you're basically going to get pure side spin off of that. You're going to get pure horizontal break. Um, and the ball is just going to dive to the right when and, you'd normally see a little bit of both. Both. And who has a changeup? When you think changeup, you think, okay, it either could, you know, it has a little bit of fade. It has a little bit of raw, you know, like there's, you have your kind of in your head, kind of your natural expectation of what a changeup will be. And Devin Williams doesn't do anything like that with that pitch. And that's why it's 100%. good. Yeah. And he's just on the extreme. Yeah. There's like kind of many different ways you can throw a changeup that's effective, especially because it's so, dependent on the fastball right he also throws a 96 97 it's not like he's got the poor stuff otherwise but it's the fact that yeah normally you'd expect that seat at two o'clock and you're sitting at three o'clock plus that's just not what people people expect so uh, you helped the one other thing i wanted to touch on there also when you talk about spin efficiency it, it's something where often often when you even at the major league level we'll talk about pitcher and what you'll see is you'll see one number in addition to a lot. You'll see his velocity and then you'll see he throws it at 2,700 RPMs or whatever. And that's useful. I'm not saying it's not, but one of the things that you just touched on there that to me is, is very important about this is especially kind of seeing how pitches play together and all that is if one pitcher is throwing at 2,400, but with high spin efficiency and someone else is throwing at 2,600, but a lot of that is kind of effectively, I would almost describe it as window dressing spin, spin that's not actually affecting how the ball moves, then that you're, you're not getting a full picture just with one number of here's what the spin rate is. is am, I, am I accurate in saying that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you might see those pitches, you know, they play similarly, right? I mean, it's harder to generate that extra spin, but if you're not using the spin in a meaningful manner, 
you're, you're, you're essentially putting it to waste. And now maybe you can do a unique spot with that. But at the end of the day, right, it's that spin efficiency, right? If you can get a curveball that has 100% spin efficiency or, you know, maybe I mean, that's expecting a lot, but, right, it's going to be way more useful even at a lower spin rate in most cases than a guy that maybe spins it a bit more but doesn't use nearly as much of the spin. Or like a Karen Chak, like pure, you know, bowling ball curveball is a pitch that is, I would, I would venture to guess is nearly 100% spin efficient. Um, and even if the spin rate is, is above average, he'd probably be, do fine at a, at a lower spin rate just because of that, you know, the ability to actually use the spin he does have. But at the same time, and this is where this all gets very complex, is there's analysis to this as well, because you also can go the other way, correct? Like there are, you know, like if you're talking about, you mentioned like a fastball down in the zone, well, throwing it with a higher spin may, may actually could conceivably be a negative for you or a change up. It's like, you know what, if we could figure out a way to choke that off a little bit more, it's probably going to be a better pitch for you. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the kind of maybe not misconceptions, but just like, you know, as everyone thinks, you know, higher is better. Right. And in this case, spin rate is a much more nuanced statistic and that, yeah, you really just don't want to be average. Like we, like you've said, which is an awesome point to bring up is the fact that you just don't want to be the average spin rate for any pitch type or, you know, any, you know, you know slot, things like that. So yeah, like a changeup in a lot of ways, you're trying to choke the spin. Now it depends. Like I said, there's very many different ways you right. can throw a changeup, but if you're trying to throw that changeup that, you know, just kind of falls off the table, you know, tumbles at the end. If you, if you, if you're throwing it with high spin, that's similar to your fastball, especially it just turns out to be a bad fastball, right? It's like, Oh, you know, I'm just throwing a fastball five, six, seven, ten 10 miles an I'm hour less that has the same spin profile. It's not going to get people, maybe they're just going to hit it harder because as long as it's on the plate, it's, it's just a meatball. Right. Um, it's again, this is, it's a fascinating subject. So we're going to dive in. I want to dive in further into this. This is, you know, where we're going to have some fun with this. I do want to mention, you know, just, you know, Rapsoda is one of our advertising partners and I want to mention that, but at the same time, I also want to mention it. We have advertising partners on tech and baseball. We also have companies that are not advertising baseball America. We're doing this because I want to talk about this. You know, this is not like a, uh, an advertorial. This is something where this is a subject that I think is very valuable to our readership. Uh, to our listenership, I guess I should say on the podcast here. But so we have put up at Baseball America with the top 500. We have now the rap scores up there for the draft prospects. And so now I'm going to ask you a simple question, but a, one I think that's going to have a relatively complex answer, which is, is Nicholas, explain to me, explain to the listener, I think probably more importantly, but what a rap score is and how you all put it, put that together. Yeah. Yeah, no, great question. And then, you know, definitely something we want to, we want to get out there really is what rap score is at, you know, at its base is, is a, is another additional form of scouting, um, an additional form of another metric that's put on the 20 to 80 scouting scale to give meaningful insights, not only, but not, not based on, you know, scouts eye, but actually based on the, the pure data that we derive from our units. So if, 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 if people are familiar with the 20 to 80 scouting scale that's been around in baseball for a very long time, or 20 is essentially like out of the majors, you know, very, very fringe player. 80 is a Hall of Famer. Um, 50 is a, is an, a major league regular. Um, whereas, you know, from that, you know, going up in one increment of, you know, a 60 or a six is, you know, an above average, you know, nearing an all-star. Uh, 40 would be like an, a below average major league player. We put our data by player into that scouting scale. So we take the data we have, like we've talked about, we have spin rate, we have spin direction, we have velocity on hitting, we have exit velocity, we have launch angle, we have launch direction, we have you know, distance. We, we meld those all together and give, give each player um, 
their own score, be it hitting or pitching or, or both, things like that. So essentially what it is, you know, it's a, it's a tool to help not only the evaluator and say, hey, from a data standpoint, how is how good is a player? But also from a from a, um, you know, a, a player development scale, right? You're trying to make that number go up, you know, in a variety of different ways. So, and I'll go into the scores a little bit now um, and kind of how they're made. Um, but, but first I'm going to go into kind of the broader scope that RapScore plays in. So we actually are, are kind of instituting a new, a new sort of system and that we're actually providing RapScore as just one part of our RepSoto assessment. And really it's a statistical look at your performance in the context of other players, of, of your peers. So be it, um, you know, a, uh, college players against how, how other college players are doing pro players against pro players less so but you know high school against high school youth against youth and giving strengths and weaknesses context for your age group and areas of improvement so not only hey here's a number but here's how you make that number go up here's how you get noticed by scouts here's how you you know you, you make your velocity play up things like that um as well as kind of some scouts notes that are derived from the data as well um and really you know like i said ways to improve your rap score and improve your kind of your standing um and so i'll, I'll go into now kind of what what makes a pitching rap score? I'll start with pitching. Um, and really what it is is three is three numbers. Um, and that is your velocity, your um, horizontal break, and your vertical break. Really, those are the only three things we're looking at here because so many of other other metrics, like I've, I've talked about, play into those met, play into those um, those sectors. So you know if you have high spin efficiency on a pitch, you're, you're going to have more break on that pitch as opposed to that same pitch with lower spin efficiency. If you have high spin rate, you're going to have more uh, horizontal vertical break. If maybe even, you know, and the, the, the important thing here is not to say that you're always, if the higher the, the break, the better, right? In a lot of ways, that's true. But say you're a, you're a pitcher that throws, you know, what, what people have been calling like a gyro slider, mm -hmm. right? That gyro slider um, may have, you know, close to zero horizontal break and zero vertical break because none of the spin is actually making the ball move, right? It's like a purely down the middle of that, that um, horizontal and vertical um, break plot. But the cool part is those pitches perform exceptionally well in the majors, right? You have like a DeGrom, you know, fall off the table slider that's just thrown really hard with really, really low spin efficiency. It's a pitch that's at zero, zero, but performs well. So it's not only that like higher is better in this metric, just to kind of point out as a sort of caveat, in most cases, the more horizontal and more vertical break, the better. But in that case, that's not always the case, right? There's always pitches that are kind of the exceptions to the rule that can have low, low, low break numbers. Kind of Because they're unusual. Because Exactly. Because they're unusual. And just you know, create a really tough time, especially that that you know, tunneling slider that uh that, that gyro slider is one of those pitches that everyone says is extremely hard, really you know, breaks late, looks just like a fastball until it doesn't, um, and creates an extremely hard time on the hitters to actually be able to pick out that pitch, <laughs> even if they know it's coming, you know, try to hit it. Um, and, and so those three numbers that that velocity, horizontal break, and vertical break go into what we call pitch scores. So for each pitch type you have, you'll get an individual individual pitch score, which we'll go into in more in more in depth later on with the actual players we're going to talk about. But those pitch scores then get turned together. Say you have a you know a sixty grade fastball, but you have lacking off speed stuff. We kind of have a dynamically weighting way that those three numbers. Say you have a fastball, a changeup, and a, and a curveball. You have a great fastball at sixty grade, maybe two a, a, a curve at fifty five, or maybe I'll, I'll go lower. Maybe I'll go forty five and a a changeup at forty. So looking at it the way that we see scouts look at it a lot, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, JJ, as well, um, is we dynamically weight it. So we say, hey, we take your fastball, and that's going to be guaranteed to be a large percentage of your score, right? Because the way, the way scouts look at it, you know, if you're not touching, you know, 88, 89, 90, you're really not going to get looked at in the major league level or, you know, kind of going downstream, you know, throwing, you know, you know, low 80s to get noticed as college or, you know, things like that. 
Um, and so we, we take fastball, we kind of separate fastball from the off-speed pitches. And then we say, hey, your best you know, breaking ball or off-speed pitch is going to be weighted the heaviest because if you're a scout looking at it, you know, and you see a guy that's got a great fastball and, you know, an, an adequate off-speed pitch, that can maybe play. But we're, we're not going to weight that the same as your maybe you have a very poor third pitch. We're going to still weight that that second pitch, that curveball, as your better pitch, or rank that higher than your, your changeup. Um, and then your, your, your whatever your worst pitch is gets ranked the least in the eyes of rap score because we want to kind of highlight your best stuff, right? It, it's, it's a, it's a rap scores or a pitching rap score is very much a measure of your stuff. And we want to make sure that your stuff gets noticed. It's not that you're well-rounded all the way around. You know, obviously if you're well-rounded all the way around, that's huge in that you're going to be able to, you know, have a great rap score across all your pitches. Um, but from that standpoint, yeah, JJ, do you have any, any opinion no, on kind of the way that scouts look at it? In, in that no, it what strikes me about that is, is that that does kind of match what I've, my thinking, which is, is that if, you know, like, so let's say I have two pitchers here and one of them, let's say they both have essentially the same fastball. Okay. You know, and then one of them has a really good slider and a change up that he throws twice a game. And you kind of wonder why he threw it in the game, you know, like, okay, I understand you're a righty and there's a lefty up, but you're better off not throwing it. And then you have another, and the fastball, like I said, is pure, purely equivalent. The breaking ball, let's say he throws a curveball and it's not as good, but it's like, okay, he's got a curveball and a changeup that are both average. Okay, well, that player has more MLB caliber pitches than the first guy but I do think that the first guy has more paths to big league success because, okay, as a starter, it may not work for that first pitcher unless he improves the changeup or he develops something. He may have a, you know, a more significant platoon advantage, you know, disadvantage. But at the same time, what that is, is that goes back to pitch movement profiles too. Okay. Is it, I, everyone thinks about it as righty versus lefty. And there's a certain extent that that's true because you are going to see the ball, a left-handed hitter is going to see the ball from a right-hander better generally just because of where he's located compared to the pitcher but am i a pitcher who throws with break that dives you know like am i more side to side with my movement on my secondaries or am i more up and down because up and down doesn't care as much about left or you know left-handed versus right handed because it's not going away or in it's going up and down sorry i got digression but i'm saying that pitcher could develop into a starter with two pitches and a third that gets better or could be a really good reliever. Whereas the second pitcher who's a little bit more well-rounded probably has actually a little bit more work to do because you, you kind of probably at the major league level are going to need that second above average pitch Absolutely. to really have effectiveness. I, I would, I would say. Definitely. No. And that's, that's exactly the scenario and I should have brought it up just like that before, but yeah, no, that's exactly the scenario that we, we, we liked, right. Cause it's, yeah, I do have plus stuff. You have multiple plus pitches. That's extremely important for scouts, right? If you're if you're great and then you have average, you know, mediocre stuff all the way around, and your secondaries, it, you know, it might not play. Like you said, you still have to develop two pitches <laughs> to be MLB caliber. Whereas the other, you know, the first example guy may only have to develop one extra one. So, and, and the thing about it is, is, is again with all of this, these are all tools that go into the broad panorama. Because if we're talking about two guys and and one has you know, trouble staying on the mound because he has a, you know, a trouble of durability and someone else is durable. Okay. Durability is obviously very useful. If one has 80 control and one has 20, obviously that's, you know, 
that's very, but, but again, all of the, but the key thing that you're talking about here is you're grading the, essentially the quality of a pitcher's arsenal. And at the end of the day, that's really, if not one of probably the most important thing you're talking about with a pitcher is, is how good is your stuff? Because there is no one pitching in the major leagues right now who you'd say, yeah, they can locate it precisely, perfectly. But by the way, they don't have anything that's a major league caliber pitch. They just have great location. You don't pitch in the majors if that's the case. And there are players pitching the majors right now who you'd say they have incredible stuff, but they have 30 control. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Especially with relievers. I mean, you seem like half the relievers nowadays are like that. Which is fine. I mean, it's just if you can get it through, get through, get three outs, they're not going to touch you. It is what it is. So, okay, so that's pitching now. But you also have a hitting rap score. So, what is what goes into the hitting rap score? Yeah, yeah. So, hitting rap score um, is a little bit different. Obviously, it's different in that we don't give you know any sort of pitch scores, things like that. But really, there's three main components to uh, three main components to hitting rap score. Um, first one being the um, being your exit velocity average on your top 12 and a half percent, which is your one eighth of your hardest hit ball. So essentially the point here is to say kind of a measure of your, your actual exit velocity. Um, and this is being comp- as compared to major league talent. So, um, you know, how hard are you hitting it when you're hitting it your hardest is, you know, far and away the most important thing. And this is, you know, using the modeling we use was determined to be the most very heavily, you know, the heavily, the most heavily important part of rap score of hitting rap score. Um, so that's one part of it. And then we have your actual launch angle on those hits. So think of it like barreling it up, right? When you, when you hit it your hardest, are you hitting it into the air, which would lead to more slugging? Are you hitting it into the ground? Are you hitting line drives? Things like that. So is your launch angle when you hit it your hardest, um, is it within a good range, right? Because you may be a guy that hits the ball really hard, but you're hitting the ball into the ground a lot, which, you know, you may have a very steep attack angle, things like that, that may, may equate itself to less good, you know, less high performance. Whereas you may have a guy that's hitting it really hard, but in, in a correct range, squaring it up in the air and, you know, hitting it, driving to the gap for doubles or hitting home runs. So that's, you know, a secondary portion. That's, that's very, you know, also a very important part of the score. Um, you know, making sure that launch angles within in, in a correct range. And then the third part is, is going to be what we call a, uh, exit velocity efficiency. So this is your average across all of the data, your average exit velocity, um, divided by your ma- that max exit velocity I talked about previously, that mm-hmm. top 12 and a half percent. So what that does is it kind of equates how, how close to your max are you on average, right? Are you somebody that's selling out? Are you, uh, you know, really trying to hit the ball hard, but then when you don't hit it hard, you're, you know, you're hitting the ball really low exit velocity. Or are you somebody that, you know, you're still hitting it hard, but when you're not hitting it hard, you're still hitting it pretty hard. So it's trying to say, like, are you selling out? You know, it's kind of helping those players that may have a lower exit velocity max but have a very consistent swing that are, you know, squaring the ball up most of the time. And that's a, the lowest one for sure, just because that doesn't equate to as much success in the majors as much as like exit velocity does. Right. You may have a guy, you may have a guy like Giancarlo Stanton. Sure. He's hitting the ball, you know, not squaring it up as much. Maybe he's hitting the ball into the ground a lot, but he's still hitting the ball 110 off the bat, which will play no matter where you hit it. Right. That, that last factor is, I would kind of almost describe that as consistency of contact, you know, because, The reality of it is, is when you say, well, what generates exit velocity? Well, I mean, you got to be bat speed and strength, you know, are, are very key. If you, if you, if you're not strong and if you swing the bat, you know, with very low bat speed, you're not going to generate, you know, exit velocity. But on top of that, the, there is a third factor, which is okay. And 
are you squaring the ball up? Because if you're, if you're hitting the ball with the sweet spot of a wood bat, it's going to perform very differently than if you are getting glancing blows where you top that you're on top of that one, you're below that one. That also plays a factor into this. And obviously that plays a factor in your max exit below too, because if you never hit the ball soundly, you're not going to produce a whole lot of exit velocity, but at the same time, right. If you have two balls that you hit in a hundred balls that you hit at 110, which means that you've hit the ball really hard, but overall you're averaging 88. That probably tells me that, okay, well, we don't need to work on your strength. We need to work on your consistency of contact to get to that strength. Whereas the flip side, if you are squaring everything up and hitting it 92, okay, well, we probably need to work on improving your strength so that you can hit the ball harder because there are, unless you are an 80 runner who's the best defensive center fielder in baseball or shortstop, you're not going to play in the majors unless you hit the ball harder than 92 miles an hour at your top end. Is that a fair way to summarize that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I really think is an interesting thing, right? People's come up and say, hey, exit velocity and everything. And I 100% agree with that. But what it is, is a barrier to entry, right? If you cannot hit it, above 90, 95 in the majors, even your Billy Hamiltons, right? He, they can hit the ball when they square it up at that, at that at least minimum, right? You're not going to make it because the defense is going to come in and you're going to take all your hits you used to be able to get in college or, you know, lower levels. You're not going to have that anymore because you don't have the threat of hitting the ball over their head. So at the same time, while it may not be everything, it's still a great measure of like, are you at this threshold at the very least to be a major league hitter, Right. And that's something I think is super important to, to, to say is, yeah, you don't have to be like, everyone doesn't have to be Giancarlo Stanton, but a lot of people have to be, be able to at least hit at a adequate enough level exit velocity wise. Even if you're the, even if you're the best contact hitter of all time, you need to have some sort of base level threshold of exit velocity, the consistency of contact, like you're saying, to be able to make it at that next level, uh, which the I think best, is a super important thing. The best pure hitters, even the ones who don't hit for a whole lot of home runs, but the best pure hitters hit the ball hard. Why do they have to hit the ball hard? Well, especially nowadays in Major League Baseball, where, yes, I get it that there are players who can spread the ball out you know, around more than others who just hit the ball the same spot on the ground all the time. But everyone has tendencies. Everyone. Tony Gwynn had tendencies. They called it the 5.5 hole for a reason. And nowadays, if Tony Gwynn, who, by the way, would be able to adjust, would be able to hit it somewhere else too, but... If Tony Gwynn was in the majors, one of the things they would do is they would put someone in the 5.5 hole and say, we're going to take that away from you. And you see that. So what do you do? Well, exit velocity, even on a ground ball, exit velocity reduces the amount of time you have to react. On a line drive, it reduces the amount of time that you have to react. If you hit the ball harder, a fielder has less time to react, less time to cover that ground. So yeah, exit velocity if you if you are old school and you say, well, we didn't used to measure exit velocity, you're right. We just called it that you hit the ball really hard. And Mickey Mantle had a great exit velocity. We just didn't know how to measure it at the time yet. Willie Mays, great exit velo. Hank Aaron, you know, you can just go down the list. We'll be right back after a short message. Okay, so let's stop diving into players now. So we've we've explained before we dive into the rap scores, you know, you talked about the assessments that you all do, but we have rap scores hitting and pitching for most of the guys in, you know, many, many of the guys in the 500. And 
So let's dive in. Let's start on the pitching side. And this does not surprise me at all. Staring there right at the, you know, basically at the tippy top of here on the pitching rap scores is Sam Bachman. And let me just say that this is not my shocked face. This is my, yeah, that makes absolutely perfect sense. If you said which pitcher in this class on the college side has the best, just pure stuff. I, I know Jack Leiter's great, Kumar Rocker's great, but Sam Bachman is the one who combines, uh, you know, again, there's a little more reliever risk, maybe. It's not as much the third and the fourth pitch, but why is it that Sam Bachman, you know, and the rap score stands out at the, 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 the top of the, at the, at the pinnacle here? Yeah. Yeah. No, great question. And that, yeah. So like you said, I mean, and I, I read the, 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 you know, the, uh, the baseball America review. And it's almost the same thing that I'd said going from the data is that, you know, he's a 65 grade fastball at the, at the you know, it's averaging 96 from our data, probably touching hundred in, in game. Um, and what the interesting part, like I touched on earlier, he actually throws this pitch around two o'clock, which is more, um, you know, more on the side of it than, than most people would throw, especially at that velocity. Um, and that he's, you know, he's like a three quarter slot guy, but he throws that pitch in a very interesting spot, right? So he gets a ton of horizontal break on it. When we would normally see most most fastballs have most mostly vertical break, um, but he actually has a lot of more horizontal break than he does horizontal break. More, you know, no, sorry, more horizontal break than he does vertical break. And he also throws it at super high efficiency. So like we talked about, he's getting the most of his spin rate, which is which is um, above average. But you know, just touching you know near a hundred, as well as having high efficiency at two o'clock a ton of, you know, a, you know, sinker movement, th things like that to just, you know, there should be a complete wipeout pitch um, as well as a great slider. So another 60 plus pitch slider um, throwing it near 90. Uh, we have is, you know, our, the data we have on him is you know, 88 plus almost all the time, very low spin efficiency. So like I talked about earlier as well, he actually has, you know, throws a very gyro ballish pitch. So it's like, you know, low 20, 20% or below spin efficiency, meaning that, um, you know, it's a pitch that's going to have that late break and actually just kind of fall off the table. Uh, but really that combination of a fastball and, um, and, you know, plus fastball plus slider just you know, will really play. And it shows with the pitch scores and rap scores. The, the thing that stands out to me, like what you just described there, and this is, I think useful to kind of dive into is, is this is, I, I go back to like the Mets with the Dan Warden when he was their pitching coach, they had the Warden slider is what they called it, which I think is kind of a gyro slider that, there's a value in this pitch. Like we used to think of it as again, and there are, there are very effective sliders that what you just say is, is they would be, you know, if you threw 95, it'd be this 86 to 88 mile an hour pitch. And you would be, we talk about two plane breaks. So it would have some horizontal and then it would kind of have, it would have some depth to it at the end, you know, it, it would move both in the vertical plane and in the horizontal plane and late. And okay. That's still a very good pitch. But I do think that one of the things that we've seen that's kind of grown up in the, I would describe it as an in the, in the analytics era, is the realization that this gyro slider, which is harder and has less movement, like if you said on pure movement, it has less. If you're watching this pitch, it doesn't look like it would be as dastardly as the traditional two-plane slider. But I think you hit on it earlier, which is, but if I throw my fastball, 97, 98, and I throw this gyro slider that's coming in close enough in velocity range that hitter is reading it and having trouble discerning that this is a slower pitch that's clearly a different pitch. It's that tunneling effect where these two work together really well, right? Absolutely. 
Yeah, no, that's that's really what it is. I mean, it's it's just a pitch that, you know, it's it's really really hard to tell, you know, what's what's going on there, right? It, it's like it's like if we take Degrom, you know, the the best pitcher in, <laughs> of the last you know how many years right now? I, maybe ever. I mean, like if you talk about pure stuff, like. Yeah. There's no one in the Nolan Ryan didn't have better stuff than Jake DeGrom. He, no, there's, I don't know if there ever was someone who did. Yeah. And you're right. And he throws that fastball at 100, but he also throws the, the, the slider at low 90s. And you can tell that the hitters can't tell what's coming. I mean, I mean, let alone the changeup and, you know, maybe he throws the curveball once a game. But it's like the, the fact that he can throw that and, and, you know, you're purely guessing, right? And you're, and it's the same thing here. You're making that hitter, you know, at a very, very late point in time have to decide, Hey, is this a fastball or is it a slider? And you're not knowing and you know, maybe swinging somewhere in between, you know, guessing at some pitch in between. So <laughs> which it's, is the worst cop, which is the yeah. worst. It's like, okay, I'll miss both of them now. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, you know, it's, it's just a pure, and like you said, he may have some reliever risk in, in the fact that it's really those two pitches. That's why he has the rap score. He does. But like we talked about earlier, maybe he develops that third pitch. Maybe he doesn't, but it's two pitches that are just purely nasty that will play as long as he has enough control. He's going to go very high in the first round because you, what you just said right there, you know what you're getting there. You're not having to project on either of those pitches. You're just saying, if he can keep doing this, this will play not, well, let's see if five years from now, if this can turn into this, but to go to a guy who we are talking more about five years from now, but he has some present stuff, Chase Burns, 45th on our list, but also stands out. High school arm who really stands out. Again, we have rap scores for high school and for college. And let me just clarify for this. For these purposes, is there a difference between how you're evaluating the high school arm versus the college arm? Or because we're looking at pro potential, we kind of group them together. Yeah, so they are grouped together. So these are pro rap scores. Um, so everyone, every, Everything we talk about today will be pro rap scores. Um, we could be giving you know Chase Burns' high school rap score if we wanted to. Um, it would just be really high. It'd be touching, <laughs> yeah. you know, 80, it'd be plus 80 plus um, grade pitch bill pitches here as, you know, given the, you know, the lower levels of, of, of high school baseball, but yeah, these are all essentially equivalent to MLB potential pitches. So, you know, you would essentially grade, you know, if a guy's got a 55 grade pitch, this is what an MLB pitcher would be grading at 55. Now maybe, you know, it says nothing about their controller, you know, other, other things like that, but it is there. Everyone here we talk about will be graded as a, as an MLB so, so what is it about Chase Burns that stands out that makes his rap score? Yeah, at, so, you know, so yeah, similar to, to, to Sam, to, to Bachman there, he has a huge fastball, right? But it's a very different fastball in that rate. So, he, you know, velocity is there, just the same 96 plus touching 100, you know, all the, all the measurables in terms of velocity. But he has a high spin rate. And the other interesting part is he's another guy that creates a different look. In that he actually has a more over-the-top look in, in terms of he has there's it more of a 12 to 1 spin direction, which is that more pure 12, you know, like I said, 12 o'clock pitch, which is um, you know, a la you know, Walker Bueller or uh or or uh um Garrett Cole. Cole. Garrett Cole, yeah, in that in that he's he's missing bats above, right? So he's spinning it a lot, he's getting pure ride on his fastball, and he's just it's a pitch that seems to go up, right? It seems like it's a rise ball, like a softball rise ball, and that's him in that sense is that it's really just going up. I mean, it, it isn't going up, right? You know, it but, all goes down, but it looks like it's going up to hitters. But, but again, to go big, to go back to average versus not being average, a hitter expects a fastball thrown from there to drop because they've seen literally by the time they're in the majors, they've seen hundreds of thousands of pitches. And so their brain has processed fastballs thrown here, move like this. 
And so, yes, it does drop, but it drops less than the brain expects, the eyes expect to see it drop. Is that the way to put it? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a great, great way to put it. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, and, and kind of going off of that, right? So he has a, we, we give him a 56 rap score um, in that same point, but it's really, he's carried heavily by that fastball, um, which is a 60 grade pitch plus. Um, and his, his secondary pitches are average, right? So we give him a 46 changeup, a 46 slider, 41 curve. All right, 40s. By, by all means, not horrible pitches, right? If you right. tunnel them well, it's, you know, 46 will play if the fastball is blowing by you. But the thing is here, um, and, and actually almost some sort of, sort of a recommendations, right? So he has a curveball that we actually grade as his lowest pitch, a 41 curveball. Um, not a huge spin rate, which is fine. But he, interestingly enough, throws his curveball at 730 on average, 730 spin direction, which normally a guy that's throwing the fastball at 12 o'clock, you would expect to see the curveball to be more in the 6, 630 mm-hmm. range. So, you know, even a recommendation for Chase would be, hey, if you're going to continue to throw your fastball at, at a 12 o'clock to one at, you know, at throwing gas 96 plus, mm-hmm. which, you know, by all means is, is awesome. Try to get that curveball to be more six o'clock to tunnel more, more off of that, right? You right. see, you see guys Go throwing that, down. you know, that knuckle curve now or whatever it might be, get as close to six as you can, because it looks just like a fastball until it doesn't. Right. Go up and down then instead of it being, again, when you think about it, we're talking about clock, you know, think about 12 o'clock on a clock you know, an analog clock, not a digital clock, but 12 o'clock on a clock and six versus seven, seven thirty, And in that you almost don't need to add. And again, the other thing that's interesting about that is, is normally it's always funny to me when you look at a pitch plot, when you look at how a pitcher's pitches, where they end up, you can kind of, I feel like a lot of times I could probably guess where their arm slot is by where the pitches end up. They, the two are very tied together. If you're high over the top, I expect to see you kind of, you know, high over the top down to high three quarters. I expect to see you kind of more up and down a lot of times. The, the further down your release point goes, by the time you get to low three quarters or sidearm, then you're going to be looking at kind of much more of an east-west plot, more of a three-nine plot. And again, that's a little overboard, but three-nine versus 12 to six. What you're saying with Chase Burns is he's kind of a 12 to six guy, but he's got a a breaking ball right now that's a little bit more in between kind of that 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 six o'clock and that nine o'clock right yep exactly that's that's a that's perfect analysis there and, and almost what it says to me as if he may be dropping his slot on his curve on, on his curveball right so he may be dropping down to get some of that that sweeping movement when he really doesn't have to right he could throw out of that same upper you know same slot maybe try to throw more of a gyro a couple of different things right mm-hmm. you can either go go pure 12 six or maybe try to throw a gyro slider out of that same spot um, that, that looks, you know, it tunnels well off the fastball, but it would almost say to me that maybe there's a little bit more pitch design that needs to be done by all means has all the stuff in the world. Doesn't really need any more of that, but maybe some, some additional kind of context things to help with those secondary pitches will make him, you know, you know, even, even better. More, than yeah, he even is. better. Yeah. But okay. So next on the list, and we, we did this and I love that we were able to pull out guys who are at the very top of the list. You know, these are guys we're talking about in Bachman and Burns case, both guys who very likely are, are day one guys, you know, very much potentially, you know, first round guys. Um, and then we have guys who likely would be heard a little bit later, but again, we love sleepers. We love point pulling out guys who it's like, here's why maybe this guy ends up being even better than, you know, than, than overall consensus viewpoint on him. I'll say this, that the next guy that we're going to talk about Thomas Farr, South Carolina is one that when I've watched him this year, again, and he's really good. Like, He's ranked 110 on our list. So we're not talking about a guy who's, you know, on the, you know, 72nd in South Carolina on the state list, 
but he's not a first round talent, you know, seen as a first round talent, but his stuff's really good. And it, not surprising that shows up in his rap score. Absolutely. Yeah. And really with Thomas, it's actually different than the other guys is that he's, he is strength of his rap score is that he is well-rounded, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of like we talked about before. He has an above 50 grade fastball changeup, um, curveball, and, you know, and a slider from the day we, we've gathered as well. So it's not that his, you know, he's overpowering with a couple of pitches and have some down pitches. It's really just purely because he has above average stuff on all of his pitches, right? And it, it, it plays. And if, if he can tunnel them well and, and you know, and pitch well w- with them, He's not going to blow any, probably blow by anybody most of the time, but he could kind of get through games with that very well-rounded approach. So when you have a well-rounded approach like that, is, is it, you know, obviously that always helps because you add more things that a hitter, as a hitter, you're, you're really trying, you ideally want to be able to eliminate pitches. You want to be sitting there at, you know, especially if it's 1-0 or 0-1, or, you know, 2-0 or 0-2, you want to be able to say, okay, I'm looking for this and maybe I'm prepared to handle this as well. But you don't want to be sitting there saying, if you sit there and you say, I'm looking for a fastball, but I'm also ready for a, you know, a fastball in, but I'm also ready for a change up away. And I'm also ready for a curveball that's going to come, you know, off the fastball, but dive into the, well, then you're not ready for anything. Because again, there's only so much that any hitter can a great hitter with great hands can trust his hands more than someone who doesn't bat speed gives you more kind of freedom. But, but you're talking about with Thomas Farr, like one of the things you're saying there is, is that he has, it's not just, he has a multitude of pitches. He has a multitude of pitches that all play well individually, which means they play even better altogether. I would assume. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing with rap scores. It doesn't really speak to how they play together but that's a great point in that if you have pitches that play well individually they're all you know exponentially better together right as long as they're pitches that have good good tunneling potential and as long as you're not throwing you know out of drastically different slots and things like that and i will say he does have super high spin efficiency on his curveball and high spin rate so it's one of those things where he does have plus pitches to go along with the well-rounded approach not just like oh he's okay at everything um you know he's, he's got 50 grades on pitches which at an mlb level is not easy to do so um you know, there is that kind of, he does have plus, you know, average to plus stuff all the way around. But, okay, next up we got is, is Bryce McGowan, who I believe is 204 on our rankings and is higher than that, much higher than that on uh, on rap score. What is it that stands out about Bryce? Yeah, yeah, so he is carried by his fastball changeup mix. Um, so he's a fastball changeup, a below average slider. So based on our data, he's touched 99 with his fastball at times. So, you know, upper 90s at the very least. High spin efficiency, high spin rate you know, a pure ride guy. So a guy that's, again, much like a Chase Burns is going to get a lot out of it because he's, um, you know, throwing it at that, that higher slot, but really just throwing hard at, high, at a high spin efficiency. Um, and, and also with that changeup, so he's throwing that changeup in the mid to upper 80s. So, you know, pure, you know, two pitch. He has another pitch, like I said, he has a slider, but has a changeup that's a, a, two, a 220 spin direction on average. So the, spin, the, the fastball spins around one o'clock, spin direction. And his spin direction on his changeup is 220, meaning that it's, you know, further down the clock, it's going to get more horizontal movement. And it's, it's, a, it's a pitch that should tunnel rather well off of that fastball as long as he can throw it with, you know, in a similar way. Um, and he's getting a ton of horizontal break on that. Um, so just really a good two pitch, you know, top two pitches. His slider is average um, at, at 83 miles an hour. So still throws it, you know, a decent velocity. But his spin efficiency is actually, you know, fr- from what we can see here is, is pretty middling. So kind of a slurvy. I mean, 
I know there are slurves that are high spin efficiency that are just kind of at 730 spin direction and have great break. We would call that kind of like a bad slurve in, in this standpoint in that he's, it's not a low enough spin, spin efficiency to be like a gyro ball in that it's like dropping, you know, and it's hard pitch to pick up. It's not high enough spin efficiency that it's sweeping. It's a sweeping pitch. It's just kind of like a meh uh, pitch. It's probably fine as a third pitch by all, by all means, but um, could probably use some, use some adjustment there with his slider. Uh, but really, he's just a guy that's carried by the fact he's, he's such a 99, which is always going to play in, in terms of a stuff-based approach with rap score, as well as having a, a, an above-average changeup. Right. Having a changeup that, and again, when you talk about it, like, and again, when you filter in going beyond, like I said, you're looking at the pitches individually. But if a hitter is having to prepare for high 90s and a fastball that's not just high 90s, but hard to hit because of movement and high 90s, and then you can play this changeup that is 10 miles an hour you know, off of it. So is far enough off of it that being late on the fastball doesn't, would still make you too early on the changeup. You know, again, cause you could, if you have a changeup that's five miles an hour less, okay, there are some of those that work, but it better move significantly differently. Cause as you said before, when you talk about it, if you're just throwing it five miles an hour, it's the same movement pattern. All you've done is said, thank you. I was late on your fastball, but I'm right on time for the changeup. This is, enough of a difference that you, you go for the fastball, you think of the fastball, you're going to be basically done by the time that that changeup comes through the zone. And that works really well. One more picture we're going to go before we dive into the hitters, Carson Seymour, who's 270th on our list. And again, another guy, I love that there's a lot of these guys who feel like I've watched a lot of, and I kind of like, oh, I kind of like that guy. So what is it that Rap Soto and the analytics like about Carson Seymour? Yeah, so he's actually somebody. It's funny. We, I was as I was preparing for this, I, I went around the office and kind of you know talked to some people about these guys and um, had like we looked at his data. Like, is that is that data right? And like, yeah, no, the data is right. He has an extremely extremely interesting curveball. Okay, so throws it hard, which is you know not not out of the out of the bounds. Throws it at eighty four, which you know by all means a pretty hard curveball, but nothing crazy. Throws it at six o'clock, which is great. You know that pure six o'clock twelve mm-hmm. six curveball, but the most unique part. Okay, so high spin efficiency, again, fine. Other people throw high spin efficiency, which is perfect. You want to have that downward break. But he throws it with low spin. So he throws it at like 1,800 RPM. So to give some context for spin rate, you may have a change. You know, a guy throwing it in the 90s may have, may throw, uh, may have a, you know, 1,800 RPMs on his, on, on his changeup, you know, maybe 22, 2,300 on his fastball. Maybe his curveball is, you know, 25, 2,600 RPM. 1,800 RPM is an extreme outlier, extreme outlier in that, you're throwing a pitch with topspin. It's not a changeup. It's purely a, a curveball in that it has a six o'clock spin direction. Um, throwing 84, but it's a low spin rate guy. So this is a guy that, I mean, very few people have the capability to throw this pitch. Um, and I just, it's a very, very odd ball pitch um, that I think can play up extremely well. It's a, yeah, we, we give it a, a you know, high 60, 70 grade pitch um, just because it's so out of the realm of possibilities for, for changeups or for, sorry, for curveballs normally. So a spin rate like that on a curveball, what is that going to do to its movement? Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's going to lead to theoretically less movement downward, but the, the effect that it has is going to tumble a little bit. It's going to kind of give the effect of fastball for longer, I think. It's not because it's not going to break as sharply down, but if you throw that low in the zone, it's almost like the table's going to come out. It's kind of like a changeup in that standpoint that, you know, maybe it's going to fall, but it's going to fall faster because that six o'clock direction is actually aiding it going down, not aiding it as much as, you know, a, a big time curveball would, but it's probably a pitch that's very, very hard to pick up. Uh, we had actually it, had a it, guy. Sorry, it functions guys. like a changeup. It sounds like almost really. It does. It does. It, you it's have the velocity separation, and you have 
the movement that ensures that even if somehow you picked it up, like, oh, it's coming in at 84, it's still going to basically dive away from your bat. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we had, we had a guy, so I, I went to Elon University, and we had a guy, Kyle Burnovich, who graduated and is in, in, the, in the minors right now. You had a great staff there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Him and yeah, Kirby. Kirby. Yeah, and Adcock out of the pen. It was a, it was a you know, fun year for sure. Um, but I, I look back at some of his data, and it's very similar in that he threw a, a low spin curveball. And it's a curveball. It's not a changeup. But, I mean, that pitch was not touchable, right? And I, you know, to be honest, I, I looked up a little bit Carson Seymour's uh, video and whatnot. It seems like he maybe doesn't have the control to really control these, his pitches as much. But it's a very – it's a pitch that I guarantee you will play if it's used correctly, which I think is a really, really cool find. That's – again, I, I – I... I, I have an idea now that I would love to, you know, like dive into like the, the five weirdest pitches in the draft, sure. because if you're yeah. weird, you're good. Again, weird. Definitely. We always thought about lefties as weird. If you're a pitcher, whatever way you're weird, weird is good. Um, yeah. You know, that's why, uh, you know, again, you, you actually even see like to, to give a really weird example of it when you wonder when hitters, you know, are pitching in the majors and it's like, why is, why is, you know, this guy throwing 48, you know, getting guys to not, you know, kill, you know, destroy every pitch he throws. It's because major league hitters aren't really used to facing uh, 48 mile an hour EFIS. You know, it's not within their normal wheelhouse. But Absolutely. so let's shift it to hitters. Um, and on the hitter side, we got four other guys I want to talk about, like who all did well in the, in the hitting rap score. And the first one of these is, to me, one of the, you know, again, these, a lot of these guys are interesting. This is why we love the draft. The draft is fascinating every year. But Hunter Goodman, who is a catcher, maybe in pro ball, like it, it, there's some questions about his catching, but there's less, a lot less questions about Hunter Goodman at the plate. Uh, the Memphis catcher who's played a little bit of outfield, I think, and again, could project either way. Very athletic for a catcher. I'll say that also. But Hunter Goodman stands out on this 61 on our list. Again, higher than that on the hitting rap score. What are the attributes that Hunter Goodman has that 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 jump out? Yeah, so so purely he hits the ball hard, right? So he, you know, like we said, the, the top 12 and a half percent exit velocity is a large, large part of the score. And his hard hit exit velocity for the hits that we have on him is 106.4 miles an hour. So that's a hit, you know, that's you know, the ability to just hit the pummel the ball. And in a lot of ways, what what the you know, this is likely you know, soft toss, things like that, where he's just hitting the ball hard regardless. Um and so his launch angle, like we talked about launch angle on hard hit balls, it's actually near the correct range, but on those balls that we were able to get, it's actually a bit too high um, for it. It's close. It's not dinging him very much. It's still in the, in the very much in the, this is, this is good range. Um, and he also has great launch angle efficiency. Like we talked about, he has the ability to, you know, he doesn't miss very much. He's, you know, when he's hitting the ball, he's hitting the ball, even, even though he's not hitting everything in the top 12 and a percent, you know, his, his average is, is close to it when it's not. So it's, you know, purely a guy that can just, can just mash the ball. And again, this is where this is useful is you all aren't saying that teams should draft based purely on, you know, their hitting rap score. It's a, it's a piece of data and it's a useful piece of data because, okay, you marry that with the fact of, okay, so how well does Hunter Goodman get to that in game? And the answer is pretty well, he gets to that pretty well, which isn't that surprising again, because consistency of contact in workouts, you know, often translates into consistency of contact in games. I, I can think back, you know, it's again, back before we had some of these tools, but I remember like watching seven, eight years ago, uh, Bubba Starling, who was a top 10 pick and you'd watch Bubba Starling, who was again, going through some hitting swing adjustments at the time, but you'd watch him in BP and he'd 
once or twice in a round in BP, he hit a ball really hard, but you know, just in BP, he'd also hit a whole lot of balls that pop up that would hit the top of the turtle. And you're like, okay, if you're not getting it out now, and again, I, I want to say, I want to preface this, depending on where they put that, that, that turtle at, you can have guys who are hitting balls soundly that would end up being home runs, but they're catching that very front. But if you're hitting it like straight up there, that's not your lack of consistency of contact. The, uh, the next thing I want to talk about, still playing, uh, Vanderbilt is in Omaha, you know, heading to Omaha, I should say, as we record this. College World Series is coming up. They're defend, trying to defend their national title. And this is a guy who jumps out in a lot of ways because, you know, performance this year has been really good too. But it's great to see that Isaiah Thomas's performance is also matched with the metrics that tell you this guy can also, I'm, I'm going to guess, can hit the ball pretty hard. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, again, another guy that it's at 106 and a half. That's his, that's his hard hit exit velocity for us. Um, he actually does have launch angle exactly within the correct range. Like we, that we predefined uh, the good, like range to, you know, for most distance on your, on your hits um, has decent exit velocity efficiency. Um, not as, not as great as like a, a Hunter Goodman was, but on, on the subset of pitches we had, mm -hmm. or sorry, hits that we had, but still carried by that hard hit exit velocity, right? At the end of the day, like you're saying with same with Hunter Goodman, the guy hits the ball hard. It's at very the very least going to be indicative of somebody who could hit the ball hard, you know, play well in the majors. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe there's the barrel control or, you know, pitch recognition. There's a lot of other things that right. the score isn't getting, but at the very least he has the barrier. One of the barriers to entry has already been met 100%. Again, I, I assume that's the same thing we could say with Thomas DeLandry also, which is, is that, you know, again, what, where is his, I, I, how, how much is that based off of the exit velocity and how much of it based off of exit velocity efficiency? Yeah. Yeah. So he, his is actually, um, again, another 106. It's funny. Everyone here is top of the top of our marks was like 106 was, was our hardest EVs. Um, launch angles within the correct range, um, lower exit velocity vision is not, 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 um, incredible, like kind of like a like similar to Isaiah Thomas. Um, but yeah, again, very similar, at least through rap scores eyes, um, as, as an Isaiah Thomas, um, in terms of the, what he's able to do with the exit velocity and, you know, and launching. One thing I also would note about this, cause I'm sure people are hearing this and they're thinking, okay, 106, that's, that's high, but I've heard of Giancarlo Stanton, who admittedly is the gold standard of gold standard on this, but Giancarlo Stanton's had 120 before. And, uh, you know, Fernando Tatis has one, and Ronald Cunha, you know, they'll get in that 114, 115 at their best. But I think there's a key thing here, which is, is that, as you said, this isn't measurements of in-game, and there is a component of exit velocity. It's a, a small component, but one of the components of exit velocity is the velocity of the pitch coming in as well, right? So 106 is when you're talking about in a workout is uh, is more than saying that he had a 106 turning around 98 in the game. Absolutely. And in the other, you know, that, that's a great point as well as the fact that this is um, going to be 106 but not their, their max, right? It's their right. average of their top one-eighth of it. So every one out of eight hits is being counted in this. So, um, you know, it could be, you know, the guys get probably, you know, they have hits of above 110, but they also have a few hits in their top one-eighth that are, you know, maybe 102. So right. it really depends um, from that standpoint. Right. But that's, you know, so that's something when you hear that, yeah, rewrite, this is not your number one exit velocity. This is your 12 and a half percent top you know, the average of those, but on top of that also, that's, if, if again, like if you're doing soft toss or you're even doing, you know, hitting off of a guy 
you know, who's throwing BP or whatever, those are different than here's 95 and you're going to turn it around because that will provide a little bit. And again, I don't want to over go overboard for every study I've seen. It provides a little of an oomph, but the hitter has to generate, you know, the vast majority of exit velocity. It, it, if you just, to, to go to a terrible analogy, if somehow you just stuck your bat out and you said, okay, Jake DeGrom hit it, it's not going to come off that bat very hard at all. You have to provide the, the oomph. But, um, but there's one more on here that we want to talk about. And I especially want to talk about him because he's further down on our list. Jackson Lynn, who's 453 in our list, but much higher than that on the rap score hitting score. Yeah. Yeah. So his, his rap score, yeah, 62 rap score, um, 103 and a half hearted exit velocity. Alonso goes in the correct range. Um, solid exit velocity efficiency. Um, but actually the interesting thing is he has a ton of hits in our system. So like this data, you know, other, the other guys have enough hits to qualify, but not, mm -hmm. you know, actually, I mean, I think Isaiah Thomas had a bunch of hits as well, but uh, Lynn had tons of hits. So this is like a guy that was clearly, you know, <laughs> in the gym, hitting a lot, <laughs> hitting the ball hard a lot. So it's, uh, it's very interesting that, I mean, I think he had 3000 plus hits within our system. Um, you know, so, so it's sample size is not, is not limited here. Sample size is not limited. And you know that he likes to hit. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? 100%. Yeah. You have like to roll, you know, yeah. like I was going to say, there are guys, it's like, I always heard that about Jared Kellenick. Like when Jared Kellenick was coming out of high school, it was like, yeah, like Alex Bregman, like Alex Bregman, when Alex Bregman was in high school, especially when he's at LSU, it was like, there were days where you'd literally like, Alex, it's one in the morning. You need to stop hitting. Rest is an important part of this too. And there are guys, you know, that's again, that's, you, you want hitters to want to hit because, and you know what, again, this is something actually to me that like, when we talk about how development has changed, one of the things that has changed is, is that if you are working in a facility, if you are working in the off season as a hitter, being able to quantify what you do, what you're doing changes the dynamic of practice to me, because if I'm doing this and I feel like I'm getting better, but I don't know, it doesn't provide the reinforcement in the same way. If I am able to quantify it and say, when the fall began, I was hitting, I was averaging 94 on my exit velo and I was hitting 25% of the balls in the launch angle range that I want. And by the end of the, you know, by spring, when I get ready for my season, I'm now averaging 96. And I'm also consistently hitting the ball. I'm hitting the ball more consistently. That's that reinforcement, that feedback loop that also helps tell you when you're doing something wrong too. Like you may think this is the right way to go. Again, you go back to a pitcher. It's like, I feel like this is better. And then you sometimes may end up looking at it and going, I, I'm sure you all see this all the time, but it's like, oh, actually, no, we're heading down the wrong alley. We need to go this other way because we thought this was going to work, but actually it's not working. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's just it's great. The ability, you know, it's one of those things that even if you have the machine on, you know, and you're pitching and you may be not looking at it, right. You're at least measuring what's happening. You can look at it later. You can also track it over time, right? Like if you, you notice a dip in exit velocity, it's like, well, why was that happening? What was it? Was it that I wasn't hitting it? as squarely was I just, you know, is my strength going down? Because there's so many different ways you can interpret the data in a meaningful way. And that's a lot of what we're doing with our, with our new, um, with our new assessments and stuff like that. But it's just really the ability to, you know, keep track of it, even if you're not going to use every single bit of information. It's so useful as a, as a form of a bookkeeping, if you will. I've known of coaches who have 
it's helped them discover an injury that a player had, you know, and again, unfortunately, again, you know, players, I get it because you want to play. And so a lot of times when someone has, again, what would often be described as a minor injury, but sometimes not even a minor injury, they'll just want to keep playing through it. And like you said, if all of a sudden your exit velos down by five miles an hour, or all of a sudden as a pitcher, your pitches don't look like they normally look, it's at least then worth a conversation to be able to dive in and say, okay, is this a, you know, everything's fine, but it's a dead arm period, or is this an indicator? And maybe it is, it's like, actually, I didn't want to tell you, but you know, my elbow's really been hurt. Well, okay, great. Let's shut you down now, you know, or let's get it checked out so that we can prevent this from going from being something minor into something major because, you know, data, I, I'm someone who always said data is good. Data is not something that is there to, <laughs> to hinder. Data should be an asset. Data should be, and again, because everything that we talk about, that we think about, yes, there is subjective data and there is objective data, but it's all data. If you're sitting there looking at a hit or swing with your eyes and you say, I think you're doing this, well, that's data. It's just a different kind of data than measuring how far his exit velocity is coming off. But um, so I just want to touch on one thing before we wrap this up that you kind of talked about, which is, is that the other thing that stands out with this is when you all put this together, this isn't that you're flying blind on this on, you know, saying, okay, well, let's try to create this and see how it goes. It's kind of got a, a look back component to it, I would assume as well because you do know what works in the major leagues. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and that's, that's yeah, we have, we boil it all back down to something. It's the fact that these are all, these are metrics that are created from MLB performance. This isn't from, hey, we think this works. This is, hey, this works. Like, this literally works in the MLB game um, as it sits. And, you know, this is how it's extrapolated down to the, to the lower levels. But if it works in the major league game, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be something that's effective, you know, all the way around. So, um, yeah, that's that's really a great point to bring up, and that's not you know, hey, we just you know sitting here thinking about what might work, and here's a rap score. It's like, hey, these pitches have these swing strike rates, these pitches have these explosives. This is what matters. Um, this is what you know. This is how players perform well in the major leagues. Right, and the interesting thing also with that is is that there's a certain aspect of that that I would also say is not static. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't know another way to put it, but like again, I don't, but when the Pirates, if you go back eight, nine years ago, the Pirates kind of had this two-seamer ground ball heavy approach, which really worked at the time. But the thing about this is, is that pitching and hitting is a constant game of action, reaction, action, reaction, action, reaction. And so one of the things that stands out to me is, is if we were talking about these rap scores three years from now, some of these movement patterns may not same equate the same way again vertical movement's probably always going to be useful in a fastball but if everyone in major league baseball all of a sudden threw a 95 mile an hour fastball with 22 inches of you know a, a vertical then all of a sudden that becomes normal and so that wouldn't i i, I i'm i'm asking i don't even know how to ask this right way but it does feel like to me this is going to be something that constantly evolves isn't it Absolutely. No, definitely. It's definitely something that we're, we're looking to update, you know, every year, every few years as trends change, like you said. So yeah, we'd be retraining the models 
that are the basis for the rap score, um, both hitting and pitching to be able to say, Hey, yeah, like certain things work, but maybe they weren't work or maybe to, maybe they still work, but they don't work as much. Maybe you have to be maybe getting to this threshold in spin direction used to be a super outlier. And maybe it's only kind of an outlier now, you know, maybe it's just, it's effective, but it's maybe less effective. So it's, it's all kind of finding what the current state of the game is right now. Um, and that's, you know, something we always strive to do. And with that, the one last thing with that is, is that you talked about, this is, you know, when we talk about rap scores, especially with pitchers, we're talking about velocity and movement. That has to be fun of figuring out the relationship of, okay, because, you know, again, there's all the adages out there, but at the end of the day, ideally, the answer is yes, you want velocity and movement, you know, like that's what you want, but, I, you know, ballparking it, how much of it is, like, Again, is it that you have to clear a bar when it comes to velocity? But I kind of feel like when we say about why Jake DeGrom's as great as he is, one of the reasons he's great as he is, is he's literally the hardest thrower, you know, throwing starting pitcher in baseball. And he has that movement. So the answer on there is yes. But if I'm a pitcher and I have my choice of one or the other, which one would I want to have? Or is it like, no, you have to have both. Yeah, I know it's, it's probably a little bit of both. And it's really how they all three play together. So you could probably find your kind of niche in some sort of unique, you know, maybe you don't throw it as hard, but you move it a lot. Or you don't, you throw it really hard and you don't move very much. So it's not really that you need both. Um, in a lot of ways, it's just like we talked about before, is that it's just avoiding average. So you don't want to have a pitch as average speed, average, you know, HB, average VB. You, you want to you find yourself in a place that's, that's you know, it's really what Rapsword does. It helps you find your, your unique spot. I guess is, is kind of the point there. Um, so yeah, it's finding uniqueness and it's not really like clearing a bar. It's just the way the statistical statistical models work is just, you know, they're, they're very you know, adept at finding the, those kind of like niche places where players have excelled essentially. I, I this is a, a really kind of absurd, but like, basically I, I have to imagine one of the fun things with this, like you said, with Carson Seymour, every now and then I have to imagine you all see something and it's like, well, we haven't seen that before, you know, yeah. like, Again, it's not like people are inventing new pitches all the time, but it is something where people, you know, I, we're watching right now, Taylor Rogers in the major leagues is throwing pitches that I can comfortably say no one else is throwing because we don't see that arm slot. We don't see, that's gotta be a fun part of this is, is all of a sudden you're seeing things. It's like, whoa, we hadn't seen that before. Or we, we really hadn't seen that very often. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's just yeah, like, we, like we talk about the whole little being unique thing is, is really really what it comes down to i mean there's bars to meet like you kind of said you know you can't throw it 84 and you know whatever it is but you have to get to certain numbers but like yeah being unique within the scope of what's doable is is really is really the fun part for sure it is and i like you said i think that one of the things we've seen we've seen more knuckle curves than we used to see why because now again i will say one of the tough parts of that is this knuckle curve is definitely harder to control and command. I think a lot of times than your more standard curveball. but that said, it is a pitch that pitcher after pitcher have discovered it's really hard to hit. And so that spike curve, I think we see a lot more than we saw 10, 15 years ago. And I, I you know, it's, it's because of, again, the analytical data that shows how well that plays it. This is all fascinating. This is all, I, we could go on for another, I think, three hours. You know, let's just do, why don't we just do every pitcher that we have in the, you know, that you guys have in the system. I, I think that'd be a really fun, you know, 72 hour podcast, but, um, but we won't do that for the listeners. We, you know, but Nicholas, you know, anything else I didn't cover that I should have, you know, before we wrap this up? 
no, I mean, I think we got, we got everything. I guess one thing I will say is just, um, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at Repsoto, Repsoto.com. Um, in terms of sales, sales at Repsoto.com. Um, and, you know, we'll also be at events um, this summer to, you know, answer any questions and whatnot um, scattered across, across the country. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I think we hit on everything. You know, it's been, um, it's been awesome getting to talk, talk JJ and, um, you know, excited to, uh, you know, see how, see how these players do. Right. I mean, it's really what it comes down to. So. It, it that's the fun part of it is is that I, I keep getting you know older but every year there's a new crop of players to kind of dream on and say where are these players you know it 15 years ago it was the you know it, it's the guys who are now the stars in the big leagues and 10 years ago it was the you know it's i remember that lindor Baez class and trying to figure out where those guys are going to develop and the answer is yes you know, it's yeah. like we, we, you know, it's great thing about it is when it turns out that the answer is not this guy or this guy, but we get, we want prospects to succeed, but thank you again for the time. Nicholas Rossini, uh, analytics manager at Rev Soto. Thank you all for the download. We thank you for listening to the baseball America tech and baseball podcast. We'll be back again with another one. We got a, a, a couple of more fun ones. I hope to get out before the draft. So for everyone here at baseball America, I'm JJ Cooper. So long everybody. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.